The Giant. Thinkers. Giant Thinkers Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I'm Ram Castillo, and in this podcast, I'm bringing to you top experts from various industries worldwide to learn from their success and to help us become better designers, creatives, and giant thinkers. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the very first episode of the Giant Thinkers podcast. Wherever in the world you're tuning in from, it's an absolute honor, so thank you. To briefly introduce myself, my name is Ram Castillo. I'm a senior designer, art director, creativelive.com instructor, author of the book, How to Get a Job as a Designer, Guaranteed, and founder of the blog, giantthinkers.com, which some of you may know is a platform where emerging designers can get expert advice to be employed. Now, I'm incredibly excited to launch this show and get it on the road. It's been a very long time coming, but before I do, it's important I touch on the parameters of the podcast. This channel is an extension of my blog, and you can expect to get an episode every two to three weeks, uh, roughly, and over time, I'll be increasing this to a weekly podcast, and perhaps even more frequently than that. Needless to say, there's a lot of content out there and with so many options to invest your time to learn. Just like you, I know how important it is to choose practical quality advice from people that have been where you are and are doing what you ultimately want to do. Now, just to be ultra transparent, this podcast isn't going to be for everyone. It is, however, going to be exceptionally helpful for emerging and established designers of all types whether it be graphic, web, digital, interaction, environmental, industrial, fashion, interior, branding, you name it, all the way through to photographers, creatives, art directors, copywriters, filmmakers, and musicians. This is the key demographic, and if you're in this space, the content will most definitely resonate with you. If you aren't in this space, welcome anyway. Grab a cup of tea, get cozy, snuggle with your cat, and see how you like it. Um, In each episode, you can expect top experts from diverse industries globally in a very casual and raw interview scenario. There's no cutting or editing with the dialogue and each episode will go anywhere between half an hour to an hour. One last thing is an invitation to you guys listening. If you have someone you'd like me to interview that you feel has an interesting story to share and would fit well with the show's content, by all means, write me an email and send it to ram at giantthinkers.com. And that's about it. Okay, so uh, that's enough housekeeping from me. Without further ado, I bring to you Chris McLean, who is actually now the creative director of RE, spelt R-E. And for those who may not be familiar, RE is the brand consultancy studio under the MNC Saatchi Group. But at the time of recording this interview that you're about to hear, Chris hadn't made the public announcement yet that he'd uh, taken up that role. And he was still the executive creative director of Interbrand in Sydney, Australia. So with that in mind, here's the interview. Hey, Chris, uh, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, now, for those of you uh, who, who don't know uh, Chris, he is uh, the Executive Creative Director of Interbrand in Sydney, Australia. And uh, before we kick things off, we should probably get the uh, most important question out of the way. Who is your favorite superhero and why? Yeah, I don't know. Like that, that's, a, that, that's an interesting first question, Ram. <laughs> 
I am racking my brains desperately. The first one that comes to mind is uh, is Batman. I think just I, I like his brooding way of taking on the world and saving the world silently. Interesting. Nice about, nice about that. But I think that the one growing up was Banana Man. Do you know Banana Man? No, I've not heard of Banana Man. Yeah, Eric eats a banana, <laughs> becomes Banana Man. It's it's like uh, Popeye, but bananas. He gets super oh, strong. Yeah, he gets his strength from bananas. Which yeah, is right. <laughs> I, I haven't ever heard of Banana Man. I'm going to have to look that up. I, so I just find it interesting, you know, like uh, as creative thinkers and doers, we have to have a level of imagination. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think growing up, that's a huge part of, of keeping that childlike uh, spirit alive. Um, now, can you share to us a little about where you're from, how you grew up and, mm -hmm. and that type of thing? So I'm originally from Manchester in the UK. Um, which is where I grew up from a little kid all the way through to my first job, actually. Um, I um, was good at drawing. That was sort of spotted by my design teachers, uh, art teacher, I should say, uh, who pretty much said to my parents, oh, this, this kid should be an artist. And my dad said, no way. <laughs> um, because people who become artists generally end up working at McDonald's. Similar so, to uh, my dad, I think. Yeah. Okay. So I... Um, so, but my dad said, oh, well, you know, you can be a commercial artist, a graphic designer. I sort of figured that out at 15. It's like, that's what I was going to do. Even though I had no idea what that meant, what it, where that would take me or, or even that I could do it, in fact. Um, and it wasn't until I got to uni, I suppose, that uh, oh, we, do a, we do a thing called a foundation year in art and design, which is kind of like tapas for design, if you like, which gave you a little bit of art, a little bit of fashion, a little bit of product design, a little bit of textile design, photography, just so that you make sure that you know you're going into the right creative field. And I just stuck with graphic design because that's what I wanted to do. And it wasn't until I got to uni, I think, that I, I learned what graphic design really meant. And it was ideas. And ideas um, was something that I'd never actually been privy to before. It was all about craft, really. Um, but it was just good fortune, I suppose, that I, I, was, I was quite good at this. And, um, and so, yeah, embraced it kind of changed my direction. I can't draw at all now, whereas I used to be able to draw kind of photographically and paint as well. Can't even manage a stickman nowadays. Um, but the ideas are still there, and I suppose that's the, that was the switch from being a, um, a craftsman, an artist, into being a designer. Um, so I did cut my teeth at Newcastle University, um, where I think they taught me less how to design and more how to think, how to learn, and how to sort of absorb. And it wasn't until I got my first job at The Chase, um, which some of the listeners might know is one of the, uh, I think it's currently the number one studio in the UK. They knocked Apple off the top spot a few years ago. It was number two when I was working there. Um, but that's where I learned to design. And they, they're all about the simplicity of ideas, graphic simplicity, reduction, getting things down to the bare minimum that it can be in order to communicate. And that's very much a philosophy of mine. But it certainly wasn't easy getting a job at the chase. I kind of made a few mistakes along the way, maybe a little bit too cocksure and confident. But I'll tell you why that is, is because the, the next door neighbor that I was introduced to by my parents, um, who is a graphic designer way back when, he, he tried to dissuade me from joining <laughs> the design industry, he wanted me to get into virtual reality instead, which uh, kind of glad I didn't go down that road, although probably be a poignant time now but uh, and I was like no I definitely want to be a graphic designer I've got my heart set on it and he said well two pieces of advice then one is don't let anyone tell you that you're anything less than excellent believe in yourself 
and the second one was really good on computers. So yeah. uh, I took both of those uh, to heart and, uh, and maybe over-indexed on the uh, don't let anyone tell you anything less than excellent bit, uh, which kind of got me into a little bit of trouble because I learned the computer well as well and I got a, uh, I got a, a really good grasp of, of how that works and it meant that when I was in internships and someone would say, hey, does anyone know how to do this in Photoshop? I'd be the first guy to put my hand up because I thought that was the right thing to do, but it was actually annoying for people because of the over-keenness. Um, but after repeated attempts to, to work at the chase, um, in fact, um, you know, they told me that it wasn't going to happen. And I went to interviews down in London and um, got a few offers, but every one of them I rejected because I said, no, I really want to work at the chase, even though they'd said no. So... Um, it wasn't until there was one piece of work that I produced for my creative director, Alan Heron, who, um, and it was for the Football Association. It was an annual report. And the owner of the company, Ben Casey, uh, saw this just on the printer and said, um, who did this? And, uh, and Alan said, well, well, Chris did. And he said, well, you better give him a job. <laughs> so that was when it all came true, that absolute resilience of kind of knowing where I wanted to work and not really giving up on that worked out for me in the end. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love I love that story because I think um, so many of the listeners can resonate with that. I mean, I, I personally can. It, it, it's okay to not know all the answers when you're starting out. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, you captured it really well when you were saying that, um, you know, you, you liked uh, just drawing at first and then you, you eventually found that design was on offer to study and then to make a career path out of that. And, and you found that, well, no, I don't want to do virtual reality. I kind of want to do more um, graphic design or, or that type of thing. I reckon I wanted to do record sleeves by every graphic yeah. designer in the world. Right? You, don't, you don't know, which is a terrible thing to do, by the way, in, in, in today's uh, day and age. Um, not particularly lucrative. But, um, iTunes yeah. covers now, aren't they? Exactly. No, I, I just wanted to do cool stuff. You yeah. know, I, like, I love the Designers Republic. I was exposed to David Carson, you know, Design Anarchy. Um, and it took me a few years, I think, to sort of settle down and find out, find out actually what kind of a designer I wanted to be, where, you know, what kind of work I wanted to do. And I kind of grew out of that wanting to be a, you know, a grunge graphic designer pretty quickly and, and you know, reverted more to modernism and Bauhaus and cleanliness and simplicity, and, but more than anything, ideas. Yeah. And I think that that's the big thing that, I see missing in Australia particularly is like there's a lot of people that want to produce the graphics and not necessarily the ideas. And it's always been a, it's always been a problem here in Australia. It's getting much better because the, uh, the unis are, are teaching conceptual thinking. But, um, but I think for too long it's been about the artisanal side of, of design rather than the, what design has the power to do. And that's really what I'm interested in is how ideas especially in branding can change populations minds about stuff and you have the power as a creative person you have the power of influence over so so many not not influence in an evil way in a good way in a way that you can change the world by just changing behaviors and we see it happening every day like with new products and services that are coming out the ubers the spotify's the airbnbs these are designed businesses these are businesses that are putting creativity first and have an idea at their core and it's not the role of creativity to just do the graphics at the end it's actually to shape that product and i think that's what's most exciting about today is that i don't even call myself a graphic designer anymore graphic design is one of the tools that i have available 
for me to change things, which is what design has always been about, is to change things and make things better. Fundamentally, that's what it's for. So, um, so I get to do that in a branding sense and, and use companies to make the world better. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Um, so for, for those listeners who uh, haven't stumbled across your work, uh, what's, what does your role entail as, a, as an ECD, Executive Creative Director for Interbrand, uh, and where does your expertise lie now after that journey? Okay, well, I'll give you a little bit of a background to that journey. So having left the chase after five years, I ended up uh, getting a bit complacent with the design world and ended up setting off on solo around the world just to try and find my mojo again, I think, with becoming a little bit bored with design. And it, it, it's clear now why I was bored is because design was not challenging me and it wasn't, you know, I, I realised that design up until that point was designing for my own portfolio and my own ego and my own, you know, maybe to show my mum. Right. <laughs> you know, I didn't really understand necessarily what the point of it was until I um, until I realised the power of, uh, of branding and, and and the influence. So my job, uh, so I got, I got the role of creative director straight from senior designer at the age of 28, which was a learning curve, like a brick wall. I'm going to be honest. I had to not only learn how to be a creative director and manage people, but also how to uh, do branding, which was a new science to me. I thought up until that point, I thought that branding was identity because that's what I was taught. And uh, now I know so much more. Um, and my job, so I came from creative director and evolved into executive creative director because we have uh, currently three of us here, well, one ECD and two CDs. And it's my job basically to take responsibility for the entire output of the studio and, and, and set the conditions for the great creative work. And part of that condition setting is the philosophies of the place as, as well as I, I, I'm actually designing as well I'm active I, I would never want to get too far away from design you know I don't want to become a design manager although many people have tried to push my career in that direction for me if I'm not close to the work I'm not it's, it's not interesting so I'm, I'm I've got my sleeves rolled up I'm in the rooms with the teams we work in uh, in rooms we we say design is a conversation we talk we debate we, we arm wrestle we, we sort of <laughs> We make sure that our arguments are robust enough internally before we go out externally. And we've got a cool way of talking about branding here at Interbrand, which, which makes, makes it all very clear for anyone. And I even tried this out with my dad a few weeks ago, and, and he got it. So um, the, the analogy goes something like this, that back in the day, corporate identity was what it was all about. And the corporate identity is uniform. It means that you get to uh, look the same everywhere. You put that uniform on and people can understand you because that's your, who you are, because that's your identity. Now, what happened when the internet came along was that companies were, or brands were forced to start conversing with their customers. So they now had to have a conversation, which meant that, and it's very difficult to have a conversation with a uniform, right? So brands had to become people, essentially, personalities. And that's the analogy is that pretty much we design people, people that are companies. But, um, but like people, they have personality, they have a mission, they have a belief system, they also have a haircut, they have a wardrobe, they have voice, they have um, messages that come out of that voice. We design all of that. So there's two sides to branding as I see it. One is defining the entity, the person, like what that belief system is and what, why they exist in the world. 
Uh, and the other piece is the brand identity, which is the clothes that they wear pretty much. But those clothes are a bit more important than just clothing. They are the vehicle through which that brand expresses itself. So we have to do both of those. Decide what, it, what, it's, what its point of view is and what it is trying to express. And then the brand identity is how that's expressed. And it's really, it's really cool and exciting to do that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think you, uh, you you answered my next question perfectly before I even asked you. It's uh, what is your definition of branding? And I think you um, you, you hit the nail on the head. And uh, you know, even for me when I started out, it was uh, the identity, which are the components for what you see uh, and how that's represented. But it's it's not only just scratching the surface, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. it's a lot to do with with how people experience uh, that that product, that service, that that message. Absolutely. And I think that the, the sort of story continues to say that if, if a brand is a person, then branding, and I can't take credit for this, it might be my, my uh, former partner in crime, uh, came up with this little gem of wisdom, that branding is getting the best out of that person. Which kind of means that we're a little bit like life coaches more than we are sort of makeover artists. Uh, although we do that bit too, and that's also of course. a lot of fun. Um, but it, but ultimately, what we're trying to do, if branding is getting the best out of that person, what we're trying to do is find the bit that people are going to fall in love with that person. Mm. And, and, and that's an interesting idea because love implies emotion, right? So we're not designing lifeless, static uh, corporate identities that just pretty much present a face to the world. We create living, breathing entities that are attempting to find relevance in people's lives so that they can, so that people will fall in love with them. It's that simple. Yeah. And the then, simple bit is, is, is finding an original way to do that. Yeah. yeah. And I think that there's almost a subtext to all this, which is authenticity and, and being genuine yeah. in who you are, Absolutely. if you are a brand. Um, that's, that's awesome. So, uh, can I just add one little of thing? Of course. Yeah, which is, I think it's really important to understand the client, and, and, and some people have heard me say this before, the client asks you, gives you a brief, and that brief is, is normally quite a selfish brief of what they want to achieve um, as, as, as a business, and that's fine, and that's what we need to answer. But in order to answer that, we have to ask ourselves not just what the client wants, but what the world needs. And that is the bit that, you know, Uber and Spotify, Airbnb have done so beautifully is to go, we, we don't just get to exist. We actually have to make something that people want and, and be a brand that's actually going to fulfill some sort of, sort of utility in a joyous way for people. So I think that that's when we say, I and mean, then we do have this philosophy at Instagram globally of we create world changing brands. That's what we mean is that we want to use design to incrementally change the world by creating things that it wants and needs and that's what branding is yeah yes yeah, spot on i mean um you know that if you look at the ubers and the airbnbs and the these these uh services um that us are so effortless to use it's almost like they've removed all the barriers from for the exchange of commitment to mm. occur uh it's a win-win, and and that model, I think, um, the the life improvement, the exchange of that, is at the heart of the honesty, of the authenticity, and as you mentioned before, the um, the 
the, the truth, you know, in, in, in the person and in the brand. I think what's, what's, what gets me so excited about the world today is that technology is the, the old world was built and it was combustion engines and it was pens and paper and it was desktop PCs. And now technology has come along and has, you know, put the wind up every business on the planet. Because, yeah, who, who would have thought the hotel industry wouldn't have thought that they could be, you know, so ruffled so easily by technology. And that's, that's the thing is that you just need an idea and you need a, a, um, to rethink the way that the old world was made. And that's what is happening with disrupting every single business on the planet, which means that everything has to be done again. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. You know, thought about again and gone, hmm, is that, was that the best way to do it? I mean, it was the way it was done, but what's a better way to do it? And I think that's, that's exactly the role of design is to question the way that things were and go, what should it be? And technology opens up so many doors to us. So that's why I think that branding is, is becoming so technology focused, whereas it used to be about definition of an identity and a brand. Now we're talking about what does it do? What, what, what's its function in the world and why should we use it? Hmm. If we direct this now to your work uh, and some of the, some of the work that, that uh, you've produced, uh, including uh, some of the most iconic brands of Australia, uh, such as Opera Australia, Darling Harbour mm-hmm. and Telstra, for those of you that are not in Australia, uh, Telstra is one of the, the, uh, the biggest uh, mobile network companies, um, uh, telecommunications companies in, in Australia. Australia's biggest brand, actually. Yeah. Biggest uh, Huge. spender. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if we look at these brands, what would you say is your most significant work to date? You know, are they uh, those big brands that I kind of mentioned, or is it is there a project that has really stood out for you, and and why? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, let me have a little think about that. So, I enjoy doing both ends of the spectrum: the big stuff, so the Telstra's, and then the small stuff, which has kind of gotten as small as a one-man taco van. Actually, here at Interbrand, both of those are the same sort of same problem that we're trying to solve on very different scales. Um, I like doing things like, like I, I, I would say that Telstra is probably the most important piece of work that I've done. And I'd say that because of how far we managed to swing the needle. You know, Telstra is a, is a big organization, 43,000 staff, lots of politics, lots of layers of management. And to be able to steer an oil tanker pretty much 180 degrees in the opposite direction to, to what they were going is massive for me. And that's when I talk about influences. We said to Telstra that they needed to change their personality on a fundamental level. And um, actually, in a brief that wasn't a brand identity brief at all, uh, it was to do some advertising templates. But we're very much focused here at Interbrand on what's going to solve the client's problem rather than what, what's going to get us paid. Right? So we we don't mind making bold statements to clients like that. And actually the, the, the pitch for Telstra was, a, was an eight day, as I said, like an eight day response to producing new advertising templates based on a pitch that the, um, that the ad agencies were, were conducting on how to activate, it's how it connects their tagline. Um, and, and we kind of just reinvented the brand in eight days instead, which kind of meant if you work it back, from the presentation to when we have to produce all the applications, blah, blah, blah. We actually had to have the idea on the first day. 
um, which meant, I mean, we've been thinking about this stuff in the background for a while. Um, but going into that presentation and forthrightly telling Telstra how we saw the world and how we saw the transformation of their business and what they needed to do, and then seeing their smiles after we present, and they go, oh, yeah, that's, that's a future we can imagine. Let, let's do it. Let's press the button. It was terrifying for me, actually, because it was such a brave idea and, and one that I didn't know was going to work, if, if I'm going to be completely honest. Um, I had a good idea that it was, but no one knows what's going to work. You just do stuff and, and try it and hope that it's going to do its thing. And when it launched and the internet went wild and everyone was absolutely enthralled by this new idea that Telstra was changing and, it, and it, with all the improvements that they were doing on the inside as well, such as customer service. And there was a, a real, it was just well received. You know, mm. it, was, it was a really popular rebrand um, and one that sort of, I think, put Telstra back on the map as, a, as an organization that's, that wants to be good and wants to do interesting things. And that has only grown and grown and grown. And if you go down to the Discovery Store opposite the Apple Store in, uh, in George Street, you'll see how far that brand has come in only four years, which, you know, for me is, is huge. Yeah. Things like, um, you know, I, Darling Harbour, Opera Australia, those things are great. We love we love doing the sort of more arts and precinct branding just because they're just such good fun. Um, but when you get to produce 20-foot-tall inflatable letters that, that hang out above the aquarium um, and you see the, the city just transforms with Opera Australia banners and Darling Harbour, activities and and Telstra it's nice I, I like the fact that we walk around Sydney and we see our work everywhere and that's that's what I from a personal and selfish point of view I like that mm. you know I, I like to see that our work is out there and it's doing its thing and then more so I like it when I hear that the public like it and respond and go to more operas and go to more Darling Harbour events and you know, buy more Telstra stuff, I suppose. And mm. um, in order for me to not feel like I'm selling out to a big corporate machine, though, I have to make sure that I'm counseling the client to, to be a good citizen of the world. Right? Yeah. Everything I was talking to you about earlier. So I think that, and I'm hoping that the, uh, the perception of Telstra in the public's mind has, has dramatically changed since 2011. I think that's definitely the case and it's only going to get stronger and stronger. Yeah. Uh, for those of you, just a little side note that want to look at uh, a few case studies, I guess, if you will, and a couple of snapshots, you can go to Chris's portfolio, which is chrismclean.co.uk. Um, McLean is spelled like M -A the toothpaste. Yeah, yeah, like the toothpaste. So it's Chris M A C L E A N dot co.uk. Check out all that work um, and, and you can really visualize all the things that, that Chris has been talking about. Now, uh, in terms of your problem-solving process, mm -hmm. uh, what sort of thought processes um, for you go on in your head when you connect the dots? Sure, sure, sure. Um, okay, well, the first thing that we do is we need to get excited about the job. Like, actually, the driest jobs can turn out to be the most fun, but we've got to find an angle. We've got to find something. And we do these things called get emotional sessions. And the point of those is we, we fill a room with you know, five to seven people who are all different and they don't have to be designers. They just have to have um, interesting points of reference that they can bring to the table and we just talk about the brief. 
we, we ask ourselves, what does the world need that this client can give it? Um, and we, one of the first things we do is we design the feeling that this brand is going to give to the recipients of it. That gives us a really, a really cool framework for working backwards from how do we deliver that feeling. And I know, I know that that's, um, that's how Apple work as well. They, they, they know how they want people to feel when they touch and use these products. And it's the same thing for, for the brands that we create as well. So, um, so following on from that, we, um, we kind of work like an accordion where we get together and then people go work and work on their own, come together and it kind of works in a cycle like that. Um, and it means that, you know, we, we say that the, um, there's no monopoly on ideas. It doesn't have to come from creative directors. It can come from the intern if it's the best ideas. Um, ideas win is the point. And, um, and those ideas we then, we build on, we shape, we, like I say, we, we argue, we debate, we, I think you've got to have a, I mean, it's a friendly family environment here, but you've got to have a thick skin and you've got to be able to take the knocks and also be able to defend and talk about your work. Massively important. And it's something that I don't see, I don't see a whole load of evidence of when I, when I interview people is the ability to talk about their work with, with passion. A lot of the time you, like in an interview, I'll hear people say, um, you know, this was a brief to produce a masthead for a magazine. So here's my masthead for my magazine. And that's not the way to talk about design. The way to talk about design is to say, what was the problem you were trying to solve? What was the process you went on to solve that? And how did it solve the problem? Um, yeah, so, so I think that that's, that's something that we, we hold people in um, we hold people to account on it. We can't have people silent in brainstorms. They need to contribute and they need to be able to uh, build on other people's ideas. Yeah. There are a couple of things that you just said which really stood out. Um, one practical tip that um, that I, I want to highlight that what you just said is starting out where you start out and starting out at a place where, uh, well, let me backtrack. I believe that if you ask quality questions, you're always going to get quality answers. So the question that you had asked, what is the design, what is the feeling we want to design is, is such a different way of thinking that I think many people um, haven't asked themselves. Um, second thing is uh, the thick skin, mm. I think, is other, you, you work on the job and you'll learn that very quickly, yeah. um, that you really need to have thick skin. And um, I love what you said there that, that you know, it, it's important to have that. I mean, I was taught when I was um, studying, uh, you know, almost 12 years ago now, it was that you shouldn't fall in love with your work, you know, and a lot of the times there's that, there's a line which has become ever so clearer to me that you're not an artist, you're, you're a designer, you're, you're providing a service. And I think there, there's a, either you re will realize that on the job um, uh, or you, you, you will realize that later on. Um, and, and the third thing is um, you mentioned about how you talk about your work during an interview. Can you share to us a bit more about um, interview tips and things like that? Um, any do's and don'ts that, that stand out for you? Yeah, sure. I'll just go back to the, uh, what's the second point you have? The second point, I... Uh, the thick skin. The, the thick skin, yes. Yeah, the, the thick skin. So it's inevitable that when you're a designer, you, you put a piece of yourself into your work, right? That's what you're doing. You, and, and especially when we're talking about emotion and 
you're, you're putting yourself in there. So for someone to sort of brutally stomp on that in front of you can can be hard, right? But I think that the more you can you separate yourself from that, the, the quicker you learn that, the better. And I think it's a it's a really it's a really rare trait in designers, but a really admirable one to be self-critical. Like there's a there's a there's a place I suppose for being confident about your work, but be confident when it's good, right? And if you've got nothing, then it's absolutely fine to say I've got nothing, <laughs> yeah. you know, and and um, and be honest about that. Or we, um, you know, one technique that I really like, I completely stole from my old creative director, is this is a shit idea, but what if? And that just gives people a little bit of permission to go, oh, yeah, well, I could, I can think about that. And it just gets people thinking. There's, there's such a thing as idea killers as well who, who will quash an idea before it's even been given a chance to breathe. And that's the re I think that's a real skill of a creative director to, to know when to let things blossom and, and grow and mm. see where they go and, and, and what, which things to shut down early because they're just completely the wrong avenue to follow. Um, but yeah, go back to your, your other question. Which is yeah, interview. about interviews, yeah. Yeah, so interviews, they're a, they're a fun one because uh, they're so variable but there's just some there's just some basic rules that you can that you can abide by for a successful interview um, a couple of bits of understanding i think uh, first and foremost is you never ask for a job you just ask for a chat because that way everyone and and ask for advice as well there's not a human being in the world that that doesn't respond well to being asked for their advice, right? So if you um, if you do that, that's a good tip. The um, the other thing is um, being able to talk about your work confidently and having those stories, you know, and um, and presentations, just presentation skills. Right? I see a lot of things where people show up with a really overly overly compressed PDF with tiny graphics on that are so blurred you can't read them. And it was a crappy photo in the first place. You know, I think there's a real pride that you have to take in the presentation of your work. And simple is always better. I, I like to be presented to on an iPad because I think that that's, a, that's, that's a relevant way nowadays, especially since I'm looking to see media. So animation and motion and all that sort of stuff, which you're going to struggle with in a paper-based portfolio with some tatty sleeves that, that the last person put their fingerprints all over. So I think that I think that digital is, is a better way to present, but you should never be showing up with just a USB stick or a, or a laptop and never presume that you're going to get on Wi-Fi and never presume that... And, and, and it's very aggravating, actually, when someone says, oh, hey, can you just grab your own laptop and put my website up on your screen? It's like, hang on a minute, I'm doing an awful lot of work for your interview here. Um, and so I think you've just got to be conscious of a few of those parameters. But what if you are in an interview, so I'll talk personally here, if you're in an interview with me, it's because I've already liked your work. Okay, So that's not necessarily something you have to worry about so much is the quality of the design and what i'm actually interested in knowing is how you carry yourself if i can work with you if you're interesting if you're going to fit into our culture and those those are the things that we're interested in and so having a personality is really important yeah i mean i um i talk a lot about this in my book actually about how um the encounter of the face-to-face -face meeting whether it's a chat or the interview 
you've actually already passed that hurdle. Mm. They've, they've seen your work. You wouldn't have gotten in there if if you hadn't passed that hurdle. The next step is, can I spend eight hours with you five days a week minimum with this person? Uh, will they contribute to the cultural currency of the place? And what? how does this person think? Because I might have missed the 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 journey or the thinking behind this project. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to hear about this person's um, solution process, essentially. Uh, that, that's really cool. So um, uh, I want to just jump to uh, portfolios in particular. Um, are there any big mistakes that you see people should avoid when it comes to portfolios? Yeah, I think there's a, I see a lot of stuff which is um, stuff people have done rather than has any relevance to what it's... So if you've worked on a big brand, for instance, that normally gets gets in there even though it was a coupon for an offer do you know what i mean so <laughs> right. i think you've you've got to be conscious of not just putting stuff in because you've done it i, I know when you're starting out you, you kind of you don't have a vast body of work to pull on but you don't have to have a large quantity you know if, if there were three pieces mm. in a portfolio that were just excellent and they were talked about well that would be fine for me i i wouldn't mind but those pieces would have to be bloody good and mm. um, so, so yeah, there's a. Some people go the other way and put put way too much stuff in, um, and therefore you're kind of racing through without getting any substance. I, I, I'm really interested to know how people think, mm. and I, I'm listening to how they how they talk about design, and whether that's going to be something that is going to be useful in our brainstorm sessions and, and ultimately in front of clients. Mm. In terms of. Um print portfolios mm. what's your take on that um so it's fine a print printed portfolio is fine but it just you're not going to show me any media and mm. you know if you're if you're a student coming out of uni now and you don't have any anything moving or anything digital i think you need to look hard at yourself yeah um we're not necessarily interested in print designers like i said earlier we don't need graphic designers we need people that can think um, yeah. yeah, so uh, I have a very um, strong view on it, and, and that's um, the first instance they're going to look at your portfolio is likely on your online website. And also, the second part of that is if you're bringing in a print portfolio, you don't have control of the light in the room. Uh, some of the places I've been to have been dungeons, mm -hmm. and therefore you're at on the on the back foot essentially. I'll tell you what's useful about a digital one as well is that you mm. can. You can tailor that. Yeah. So you can put the you can take out projects that are relevant and ones exactly. that aren't for, for different employers. Cool. There, there was one thing I just wanted to say that yes. is that um, it should be understood that to get a job in the design industry means that you need to be out there meeting people and knowing people. So going for job interviews doesn't mean you go for the jobs that are being advertised on the loop and, and wherever. You just need to get in people's minds because I'm interviewing people all the time when, even though we don't have a job going for them. But that could change next week. Mm. Um, and the same extends to online. Okay, so just having your work out there, being on the right platforms, being in the hands, talking to agencies through Twitter, I think is an absolute, you know, it, it's a silver bullet actually because all agencies 
will probably respond and they'd love to be flattered. Um, but just getting yourself out there, making your work known, making yourself known and showing up to the right events, I think that's a huge part of it. And that, that's classic networking, right? But, um, but it's the way that people then reconsider you. Yeah, the job. yeah you've just preempted uh, the, the next question I was going to ask you, which is about networking. It's, it's spot on. I think um, online and offline, it, it's important just to be top of mind, to be interacting. I think it, when, you're, when you're actually being active, in these spaces, uh, the higher the exposure you're going to have to people in industry. Um, and to be honest, uh, in my personal journey, it's I haven't ever gotten a job through a post um, that's been online or whatever. It's it's always been through word of mouth. Yeah. Um, and I've always just, as you mentioned earlier, it was just the, the chat, the initial chat, and then being on their radar, shooting them a ping, whether it's via a tweet or an email once once a month or once a year even to some some creative directors um and just being around and interning is another mm. is another way to do that you know so working at as many companies as you can in your first year is, is no no bad thing you know, if you can afford to do it so what, what's your thinking on on working for free so working for free is something that is um definitely a, a uk thing you know it's, it's built into us that's that's based on the fact that there's more way more graduates put out of the unis every year than there are jobs available. And of those jobs that are available, the, the top jobs are the top 5%. So you've got some incredible competition and people will do anything just to get a foot in the door. Paint the offer to paint the walls, to, you know, all those menial tasks, doesn't matter, give it those letters in. And then if you could fire us a brief every so often, that would be appreciated <laughs> too. Um, here, in, um, here in Australia, I think that that's a slightly different dynamic. I think in England, there's not much to do, right? It, it rains a lot. There's, we've got good TV, but people pick up a guitar or do designs, you know, the, the kind of things to while away the, <coughs> the gloomy dark nights. So, um, so people try harder. People you know, pretty much give up their lives for their career and devote themselves to the career. It doesn't, it's not the same here. Um, there are some a few individuals that do that, but this is a this is a, a country where people live their lives. <laughs> Quite frankly, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's still uh, surfing to be done after work, right? But right. Um, um, so, so bring it back to what the yeah no I um it was about um the working for free the yeah. working for free so, perspective. So, so here's the thing: like, I think you should work. You can't work for free in Australia. That's illegal. Right, so there's always there's always got to be a nominal fee, right? So no one will be working for free, and if if they are, then uh, Australia's uh, trading standards will be onto that company pretty quickly. Um, the rule here, uh, well, I think the rule in Australia is that you can, if you're in education, you can work for one month on a um, pretty much expenses only. Once you're out of education, so once graduated. You've got to actually be paid a pro rata junior salary, so um, so I think that doing interns and doing just those little month placements absolutely invaluable, and you should do it. But you shouldn't let anyone take you for a ride. But I think that the the law in Australia prevents that. Yeah, I think it just depends on your threshold. Of course, we don't want people to um, starve um, or anything, but um, I think the threshold is definitely a cultural difference between uh, what I've found uh, from the UK and um, other parts versus Australia. I think we're, we're quite spoiled here in Australia, I must say. Um, but I think there's a, you know? you know, there's a, the, the word free is interesting mm. because 
Free implies that there is no transaction. Right. Right. But there is a transaction. Huge that, transaction. Yeah. And that is that, that agency giving up their time to mentor you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a disruption to a student, to, uh, to a studio, sorry, mm. to have, um, to have interns because they need a lot of looking after. And that, but that is what that agency has put their hand up to do is to educate you, to bring you up to speed. Like I said, like I didn't know design when I graduated, I had to learn it in the industry. Finding a mentor is incredibly important. Impressing that mentor and making sure that they mentor you is 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 the aim of the game. What you're trying to do and sap knowledge from people and, and sap expertise. So it's it's not working for free. Mm. You, you're actually working for an invaluable experience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I started in the mailroom of uh, Ogilvy and Mather, and uh, on my first week, I met 350 people uh most of the creatives there uh, were just it was it was as if i had just like stepped into the matrix or something it, it was it was remarkable i mean um they say you know the the best teacher is is experience and um i definitely learned that on my first week so um the exchanges from the networking to the exposure of ideas to the standard to processes all of these things um i'm glad you mentioned that so we're going to uh wrap up shortly. So I'm just going to give you some uh, quick fire questions. Okay. Uh, one is about traveling. I personally love traveling. I hear your uh, word on the street is you, you love the snow. Uh, so was it skiing or snowboarding? I just got back from Canada, nine, nine days snowboarding. Oh, perfect. Love it. Love it. Well, th that's actually been uh, a place that I want to tick off my list. I've been to, uh, to over 30 countries so far. So um, I've, I've found that traveling is such an amazing way to grow, not only uh, as a person, but through through design. Mm. Uh, uh, what's your take on traveling? Yeah, so I've, I've done a fair amount of traveling. I think, you know, I, I feel privileged to have had my eyes exposed to so many things that I just wouldn't have sat in um, gloomy Manchester. There's just the, the people that you meet, the experiences that you get into, the cultures that you're exposed to, you know, you, you learn that the world is not a cozy, safe place like it is here in Sydney or, or back home in the UK, that there's, you know, that there's a wealth of stuff. There's, there's a whole planet worth of stuff to know, right? And if you, if you don't go out and see it, then I think you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, here's a quick one. Uh, if you could invite any three people to a dinner party, who would they be? All right. Okay. That's on the spot. Um, well, Stephen Hawkins has to come. Yeah. I'm a massive cosmology nerd and uh, I'd, I'd just love the chance to hang out with him. And Brian Cox, if, if I can get those two along, then I'll, I know I'll have a good night. He's, he's a Manchester physicist for those that don't know. You know, it's funny that like, like science is actually a massive passion of mine. Like it goes kind of design, science, and then photography, I think, and then maybe snowboard. Um, Interesting. But, um, yeah, I'd, I'd have those two guys along, and I, I might invite John Lennon as well, just because. Uh, good think, pick. Yeah, he's a he's a good guy to have around, and if I can get a fourth, I'd probably get Stephen Fry, just because uh, I could just listen to him all day. Yeah, fantastic. All right, so uh, if you could travel back in time mm. for thirty seconds and talk to the uh, the junior Chris McLean, perhaps the one that was graduating high school, yeah, what, what would you say briefly to him? I um, I would probably just counsel him on how to uh, yes, be, stay confident, but don't over-index on that, and um, and and just make sure that you, at the same time that you don't become ignored and irrelevant. Mm. That's the 
that is the golden balance. It's like the balance, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you can't be quiet and you can't be too loud. <laughs> Perfect. So what's next for you, Chris? Is there anything that we should look forward to? Well, we spent the last uh, year and a half, maybe two years, uh, and redesigning the Sydney Opera House brand identity. So that's going to be amazing, a huge one for us. And it's the big job. It's the, it's the transformation of that organization. And not that there's anything particularly wrong with the Opera House, but it doesn't necessarily have voice. You, you don't necessarily feel the Opera House as a brand interacting with you as a, as a customer. So that's... That, that's a huge piece of work from the brand identity through to the, the brand experience, the digital experience, the whole thing. Very exciting. Fantastic. Okay, so uh, for the listeners out there, we've uh, mentioned your URL, your portfolio, where they can check you out, which also has a blog component and photography component and all other things. So that's Chris McLean with an M-A-C-L-E-A-N.co.uk. Is there any other social media platforms you want listeners to get you on well get me on twitter chris mcclain 200 um, and interbrand has uh, interbrand australia has a local site called standapart.com.au where you can check out everything that we get up to um, on our blog there and um, you can find me on linkedin fantastic yeah cool uh, i'll definitely add all those to the show notes chris it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show thank you so much for spending time with us i've no doubt that your insights have inspired and turned on many light bulbs for people listening uh, as what you already do through your work. So I wish you continued success, my friend, and look forward to seeing more of the magic. Thank you, Ram. Take it easy, bud. Cheers, Chris. All right, guys. So there you have it. Hopefully you enjoyed the first episode there, diving into the mind of Chris McLean. Now there's a ton of guests I've got coming up on future episodes. So do subscribe on iTunes. If you have any questions, hit me up with an email, ram at giantthinkers.com or grab me on Twitter. My handle is at the giant thinker. And until next time, wonderful giants, keep crushing it. 